0: series entitled, They Say, I Say, where we're looking at the teachings of Jesus about cultural, morals, moral, social, and personal issues. Issues that each of us, as long as you would claim to be a human being, at some time are going to struggle with or have questions about. Now, Jesus introduces these teachings, most of them are found in the Sermon on the Mount, by beginning with similar wording. Before each of them, he says something like, you have heard it said, but here is what I say, oftentimes upping the ante uh, over what the cultural or perceived norm was. So we're going to be looking at these sayings for most of the summer here at Menham Hills. And here's the deal, because my staff is a a bunch of chickens, I got the short straw and have to deal with what is easily the hardest they say, I say. I told them I'd be away on vacation. I can't work this week. They didn't care. So, this is why I have lead next to pastor in my name, I guess. It's hard because Jesus is saying something that runs, I'm just going to be honest with you. What he's saying runs so completely countercultural. His teaching on this topic is so completely, it appears impractical. If you just hear it, Without bringing balance to it, it seems so hard and harsh and limiting. In fact, the teaching is so tough, I'm just going to tell you up front, you're probably not going to like it that much. You'll probably like the other portion of it. You'll like the they say more than you'll like but I say. But this is what he said. Stay to the end of the story, though. I know you probably won't physically get up, but before you mentally check out, because what, the, what Jesus is saying here is going to be hard, some of, for some of you it might even feel condemning, stay to the end of the story, because here's why. John was a disciple of Jesus's. In fact, he, John was so close to Jesus, he referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. It always seemed a little self-aggrandizing to me. I'm not sure if Peter or James was aware that he was writing that. They might have crossed it out. But John, the disciple that Jesus loved, who was right there when Jesus taught all of these difficult things, Man, just sidebar, you know, if you ask people about Jesus, you know, do you love, are you a Christian? No, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, well, Jesus was a wonderful teacher. And Jesus was a wonderful teacher. But there's a lot of things that, I mean, if we're honest, these, Jesus says some things that we might not love. Today is going to be one of them. John, years later, when he sat down to write about these things, as he got going, as he got into the introduction of his letter that you know is the book of John, here's what John said, because he had to be thinking about some of these teachings. Jesus, or John said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you get nothing else out of the talk today, Jesus comes full of grace And truth in fact three verses later he doubles down on it here's what John says he goes for the law the Ten Commandments all of the other commandments that get added to it for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ that's Jesus's ministry full grace but full truth Not a combination of grace and truth, not wishy-washy, not I'm going to kind of soft-pedal this because I don't want anybody to walk away, not i got to be careful because I might offend somebody, this is not a 50-50 thing, it's it's not just like I'm going to tell you a little bit in, I'm going to inch in, all truth. Jesus brings truth. Jesus comes so we might know truth. And later on, he would say, it's the truth that sets us free. But, but if you're on the receiving end of truth, sometimes it's also the truth that stings. I mean, after all, Jesus is God. His ways are not our ways. and Jesus has some hard things to say. But then please remember that Jesus is full of grace. 100% grace. The law, the commandments, which we have such a hard time keeping. The law, which ultimately is what condemns us. The law came through Moses, but truth and grace come through Jesus. That's what this series is about. Moses' laws, the commandments, how Jesus interprets them. That's the truth part. And then how we relate to God in light of our inability to live up to Him, that's the grace part. Jesus, full of truth, 100% truth, full of grace, 100% grace. And so with that in mind today, and because my staff is chicken, um, and because it's 4th of July weekend, and figuring the attendance might be kind of down today, we tackle, um, just joking, kind of. (laughs) We tackle what Jesus has to say about divorce and remarriage. And I warned you in the weekly teaser. I was talking to my friend this week. I was telling him uh, about this teaching and and how it was going to be a pretty tough teaching and how how because... And then my friend is divorced. And how because it was so tough, in fact, not only is he divorced, I haven't seen him yet today, but that's a whole other thing. How it could be offensive to some of our folks. In, In fact, as I said, he's divorced. His reaction was, you know what? The place was getting too crowded anyway. Maybe at least I can find a parking place and a seat. So... This is where we find ourselves. This teaching is so hard to receive, unless you understand this grace-truth thing. It's so hard to receive that you might come to the same conclusion that those who first heard it came to. This is how we know it was tough. When Jesus gets done explaining it to those who heard it, this is what happened. The disciples, you know Peter, James, and John, the disciples, not just the people in the crowd, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. So if you feel this way when it's over, if you, would, if you at the end go, hmm, maybe it would be better not to get married, then I think you're probably hearing this the way Jesus intended for it to be heard. Because it's a tough teaching. So let's jump in. Jesus is preaching the famous, this famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, and he continues. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Now, Jesus is speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. Of course they've heard this. This is in the Law of Moses. This is in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ones, right? Don't commit adultery. And so there's just this strange thing, though, about commandments. If, if you've ever been told not to do something, once you immediately get told not to do something, what do you try to figure out a way to do? Something. Something. What's the way around? Well, you know, I still want to do it. What's the way around it? What's, how far can I push it? And, and so the law is no adultery. Well, Moses, um, how would you define adultery, really? I mean, Moses, how far is too far with adultery? I mean, everything above the neck with my neighbor's wife, is that okay? It's just, you know, not below the neckline, is that off-limits? And you might go, well, that's kind of stupid. I don't think we would do that. But uh, I think if you're old enough to remember the the Clinton impeachment hearings, days were spent trying to figure out what sex with that woman meant. Right? Mr. Special Prosecutor, define adultery. So Jesus does. Jesus says, you've heard, but I'm telling you, that anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Some of you know Jimmy Carter, if you're old enough, made that famous saying when he was running um, for office. And so here is Jesus, once again, upping the ante, because sin isn't something, it's not something just that we do. Sin is something that's in us. In many ways, it is who we are, or at least were. We are enslaved to it prior to coming to Christ. We aren't sinners just because we sin. We sin... Because there's a brokenness inside us. We sin because we're sinners. Sin is always a heart issue first. And so there's this first teaching on adultery, and that it's a heart issue long before it's a touch issue. It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, getting divorced in Jesus' day was not unusual, and so Jesus was just reiterating what had become common common knowledge, which was this, that if a man wants to divorce his wife, he couldn't just kick her out, but if he wanted her out, he could provide her with a certificate of divorce, so that when she hit the streets, at least she could show people that she was no longer married to her ex-husband, that it was official in a way that she was available again back on the market. Now, what you need to understand is, today we're going to be talking about two prevailing thoughts on the reason for divorce in Jesus' day. The common thinking of the day, at least one of the major schools of thought was, the it has been said teaching of the day was not really unlike the teaching of our day. And that was, divorce was permissible for any reason. Which is actually pretty interesting, because the teaching that Jesus is about to embark on was valued for centuries. In fact, it was only in the late 1960s that divorce became permitted on a no-fault basis. That is, in order to get divorced, you no longer would need to go to court to prove that the other party had somehow violated the marital contract. What Jesus is about to teach on was what made Christian marriage so different for centuries. It's what made Christian marriage so unique that people would look at it and go, their marriages are different. In fact, in many ways, we carried that into uh, the laws of this country. One woman, one man, one one marriage for a life. Till death do you part, unless something happened and you could prove otherwise. But in 1969, California became the first state to permit no-fault divorce. In other words, it's no one's fault. It just didn't work out. We didn't want to be married anymore. And there's lots out there about the impact of this. It's fun to look up from statistic-wise, both pro and con. There really are some pretty good pro and con opinions on this law, but I would argue an unintended consequence of the decision was that marriage uh, was and is now assumed culturally to be a bit more of an if-it-works-out arrangement. I don't think anybody consciously goes into it thinking that. But if I'm honest with you, and I do a lot of weddings and I do a lot of marriage counseling, I think, I think that the concept of the permanence of this arrangement, I just don't think it's as strong in our culture and even in our churches as it used to be. So in some way, Jesus is addressing this same cultural context. He said, it's been said, you've heard it said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, actually, uh, he doesn't say adultery here, he uses the Greek word pornonea, which is kind of a catch-all for sexual misconduct. Your, your Bible might use the word fornication if you have a different translation. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But I'm telling you that anybody who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits Adultery. I'll leave that up there, Maggie, because this is really, I mean, I didn't say this, okay, so don't shoot the messenger. Um, Jesus said this, and it's actually picked up in, in uh, several of the Gospels, so it's not like just one Gospel writer thought it was important enough to write down. Jesus goes, I'm telling you that anybody who divorces his wife, okay, so they're divorced. They're divorced. If you divorce your wife, and she goes out and marries someone else or becomes, you know, winds up with another man, you're making her the, an adulterer. And anybody who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So if I, if I find this woman I love and it turns out that she's divorced and I marry her, now I'm an adulterer? Because it seems if you read this with our cultural eyes, what Jesus is saying doesn't make any sense. Because what Jesus is saying is, yeah, if you marry somebody who's been divorced, you are an adulterer. And if you are divorced, your husband divorces you, and you wind up with another man, you're an adulteress. And you have to, you gotta imagine people looking at Jesus at this teaching in in, in a time when, when people were getting divorced for any and every reason. I mean, they got to be thinking, Jesus, you don't understand what adultery means. See, adultery meant they were married. I can't be an adulterer because I'm not married to her any longer. That marriage is, I can't be an adulteress. My husband divorced me. Uh, Jesus, you seem to misunderstand the definition of adultery. To which I think Jesus might respond, you seem to be missing something about the definition of marriage. Now, in the audience, stick with me, okay? Everybody's still here? In the audience, just as offended as you might be right now, and let me just pause, because I know I'm treading on sensitive waters here, okay? Look, statistically, half of us are divorced, um, and so half of you right now are going, I hate this already, and I'm missing the Women's World Cup for this. I can't believe <laughs> I did this. Maybe I'll steal a lemonade at Dave's lemonade stand right after church, <laughs> right? So half of you are thinking that, and then the rest of us that aren't divorced, there's also this concept like, I know some, somebody I love is divorced. My mother and father are divorced and remarried. So when I'm teaching you this, I'm not teaching this with a waving of the finger. I'm just trying to struggle through and figure out what Jesus is talking about, just like you are. Truth matters though, right? So, uh, let's keep going. In the audience, and maybe just as offended as you are right now, there are some Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the... Teachers of the law that Moses gave, and they hear this and they're offended because it was Moses who had given the law regarding men being able to give their wives a certificate of divorce. And suddenly you have Jesus standing up there, getting all truthy, trying to raise things to a different level, and they sense some space between the teaching of Moses and the teaching of Jesus. Now, if you know anything about the story of Jesus, whenever the Pharisees t- thought there might be a little space between what Moses taught and what Jesus taught, these professional rule keepers, these religious elite of the day, they began to try to trap him because they wanted to undermine his ministry. The people were starting to follow him, which is pretty amazing because he said some really truthful things, but you got to remember, he was so 100% full of grace. The people started to follow him, and he was a threat to the religious leader's establishment. So they hear this new position, and they think to themselves, well, that's it. He got him. He just refuted the teachings of Moses. Moses said to divorce that we were to issue a certificate of divorce. He's claiming something different. And so they come up with a plan. Not really caring about the teaching. More interested in trapping Jesus. Matthew says, uh, sometime later, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test them. And so they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That's an interesting question, but you need to really understand the background to to fully, fully get it. In Israel, at the time... There were two predominant teachings on divorce. When it was permitted, under what circumstances you were allowed out of your marriage, and the teachings were both based on this one decree that Moses issues in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy that had to do with divorce. Here's what Moses wrote at that time. He said that if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, Now that, then he's permitted to issue her a certificate of divorce. But that phrase, indecent about her, it's not a precise phrase. And so because of the ambiguity over what does indecent about her mean, two different rabbinical schools emerged. On one side, there was the conservative school, right? Uh, On the other was the more liberal Rabbi Hillel school. Both were well known around the time of Jesus. The Mishnah which was the oral teaching, teaching of rabbinical law, actually records these, this debate. Here's what it says. The school of Shammai, Rab, this one rabbi, says that a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her, for it is written, because he found in her indecency in anything, so in other words, uh, this was the conservative view that you could only divorce your wife if you found her to be unfaithful. Actually, still others believe it was only during the betrothal period that you could divorce your wife. That was the only exclusion. If you really want detail on this, remember Mary and Joseph; they're in the betrothal period, and Joseph is going to. It's when he finds out Mary is going to pre- be pregnant. It says that Joseph was going to quietly put her away. That word actually is divorce, but in English, they don't translate it divorce because divorce wouldn't make any sense because they weren't married yet. But a, but, but a, a lot of theologians believe that the out was only, the, was only during that betrothal period. Just interesting stuff, at least for me. Anyway, um, the, the school of Hillel, which was the more liberal school after that rabbi, um, they had a completely different thought on this. Hillel said he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. This is actually written thousands of years ago. For it is written because he hath found in her indecency in anything. And that was becoming the predominant view of the day. I can divorce you because you're, you are a lousy cook, right? <laughs> I mean, that, which is funny unless you're a woman in the first century. Right? Because then it's just a threat that's going to wind up getting you put out on the street. They referred to the same verse. Shammai emphasized indecency. Hillel emphasized anything. And so they come to Jesus. Jesus, they ask, you know the debate that's going on in the streets. What's the loophole? What's the way out of this? If it's no fault, if it's a no-fault divorce, if you can do it for any reason, or is it only because of adultery? And in typical Jesus fashion... He doesn't give them an answer they're looking for. In fact, he doesn't even give them an answer. He starts with something kind of off base. He goes, well, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, The Creator made the male and female. And Jesus doesn't go to the Moses story. He goes centuries before the Moses story, way, way back to the beginning, to the creation accounts in Genesis when marriage was ordained. See, the Pharisees are trying to talk about acceptable reasons for divorce, but Jesus is trying to talk about the sanctity of marriage. They want to talk about when a marriage can be broken. He wants to talk about why they can't be. He replied, At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. That word united has a sexual connotation to it. He should be united to his wife and the two will become... Well, let's stop for a moment and think about what was going on in their culture and what's gone on in ours. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become lovers. No. They shall leave their, their mothers and fathers and they shall become live togetherers. <laughs> they shall leave their, their father and mother and they shall become married. Nope. None of those things. Jesus answers the question. He goes, have you read, at the beginning, the Creator made the male and female, and He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The two people become one person. Now, if this sounds familiar to you. It's because you probably heard it at a wedding, maybe even your own. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, in his preeminent teaching on marriage, in the letter he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he picks up Jesus' teaching to help his readers understand the purpose of marriage, which also helps us to understand that what Jesus is saying here. Here's what Paul t- said He goes, The reason a man leaves his father and mother and to be united with his wife, the two will become one flesh. That's what Jesus said. And then Paul goes, I don't get it either. Kind of. He goes, This is a profound mystery. Sure is a profound mystery. Paul Paul would say something happened. I don't really fully understand it, but something happened when these two people came together, together and made a covenant with God, and when they consummated the covenant, something happened in the spiritual realm that took two people and fused them into something new, something different than they were. And then he likens it this way: he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Something happened to these two people that represents the way Christ loves the church. Something took place that was so unifying, loving, and permanent about the union, it would represent for everybody involved in it and to all of those who saw it, how Jesus loved the church. It was that and loves the church. It is that permanent and it is that non-circumstantial. And he goes on, he goes, so... They are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, don't let any man separate. I was thinking about this, how the staff was making me teach this the Sunday I came back from vacation. I was always driving home yesterday, sitting in interminable traffic, and uh, I got stuck. Our spot is Ocean City, Maryland. That's where we go every year. Big shout out to Secrets, yay. I behave myself there. Anyway, um, so we're driving home and I am on a bridge. And does anybody, know <laughs> it's kind of funny. Anybody know the name of the bay uh, where Ocean City, Maryland is? There's the ocean on one side and there's the bay. Anyone? It's the, uh, you know, I just wanna make sure you know this is actually true so you don't email me. It's the Big Ass Woman Bay. It's kind of funny when you think about it. The Big Assle Woman, which is this giant bay, and I'm sitting on the Big Assle Woman, waiting in my car, thinking about, I can't believe I got to preach a sermon when I get back. But the Big Assle Woman's kind of a funny name. And uh, so as I'm driving, uh, I went over a little land, and then I got to a river called the Indian River, and they were were only separated by maybe a quarter of a mile. And as I looked to the left, I saw the the Big Assle Woman comes in one way. See, you can't help but laugh at that. I think it's Indian. Uh, the the big-ass woman... Oh, an Indian. And the big-ass woman comes in, and then the Indian river comes in. And as I looked at it, it was like a divine revelation. That's marriage. See? Because w- once they came together, right, where the big-ass woman and the Indian meet... My wife just put her head down and disgust at (laughs) me. Where they meet, the two have become one. And I thought this was just so profound. I couldn't wait to get back and share it with you. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, you idiot. You do this in every wedding you do. You know, I mean, we do it different ways. We do it with, like, the uh, candle, right? Don't we love the candle lighting ceremony? The families come up and the two flames become one flame. Sometimes, you know, we we don't want to set the church on fire. We do it with sand. Have you seen it done with the sand? The two sands, you get a pink and a blue and, you know, whatever. I saw it done once with milk and Pepsi, which I thought was stupid, but it's whatever. I mean, it's just so sweet and romantic. But what if it's more than sweet and romantic? What if it's supposed to be symbolic of a real truth? Because what Jesus is saying, like it or not, divorce certificate or not, there is something that has been done that you can try to undo in the physical realm, but there is something that has been done in the spiritual realm that just can't be easily undone. I mean, symbolically, I mean, first of all, if, you've, if, if, you, if you're in a second marriage, you, you, you've tasted a little of this. Right? Like Symbolically, you understand it. You can't pull the individual parts of the flame and the unity candle apart. I mean, you could separate them, you could give them their each their own their own stick, their own apartments. You know, each of those flames could lose some weight, go back to the gym, get a new bumble profile. But there's something that happened there. There's something that took place. And it happened for their own good. There was a permanence to something that took place, a oneness that Jesus said, maybe you heard it at your wedding, nobody should try to separate this. Now see, the Pharisees, they're not really interested in in truth. They're interested in the law. Because we can get around the law. And they're definitely not interested in grace. And so they get back at it. Okay, Jesus, that's great, that's great, that's great. But why then, Jesus, why did Moses command that, command, why did Moses command a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Moses must have known about this one flesh thing, Jesus. Moses must have known about the permanence thing. Why did he command us to get a divorce? To which Jesus replied, Moses commanded you nothing." Moses permit, he didn't say that, I said that. Moses, here's what he did say. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. In the beginning, pre-sin, pre-fall, your heart was not hard. In other words, what Moses did was a result of sin. He was creating a loophole for a way out of the contract. Moses gives this divorce law because of the sinfulness of the human heart and the hardness of people's hearts. This was, if we want the truth, this was given to protect the wife from being discarded like a piece of furniture by the husband. Because that's what was going on. If she was just thrown out of the home because she was a bad bad cook or a, a lousy cleaner, or maybe she just put on a couple of pounds. If she just got tossed out of the home, no other man would ever marry her. And she'd be left defenseless. And in that society, in those days, she would have been a social outcast. She would have been treated like a harlot. So because of the wicked sinfulness of the Jewish men's hearts at that time, Moses, it seems, gave this certificate of divorce in order that the woman wouldn't have to go through such extremes, that they'd be allowed to legally remarry, they'd be saved from all of these predicaments. But the point is this, this was a legal injunction. And the Lord Jesus said that it was permitted by Moses because of the hardness of people's hearts. This was not God's highest calling for marriage, and it wasn't this way in the beginning. Thus, Jesus says, that's why I'm telling you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. you Now, if you're, if you're here this morning... You're a single guy? Maybe that girl bought you to church. You're thinking, geez, I had commitment issues before coming to church this morning. How am I going to deal with this? If this scares the snot out of you and you're single, then I think you're understanding the point of Jesus' teaching. If you're going through a divorce, if you've been divorced, if you've been remarried, like so many of my friends are, like my own parents have, and you're hearing this morning, you feel kind of convicted, or maybe even worse, this is just kind of feeling condemning, then I want you to know you don't feel a lot different than the crowd that was there this morning, because they felt that way too. The truth was hurting, and it can be pretty convicting, but it was at this point, in fact it was at this point, when they looked around they said, jeez if that's really true, it would be better just not to get married. Now, what you would think is if that was their conclusion, Jesus would go, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. No, 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 you misunderstood what I was saying. That's not what he, 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 he says. I love his line to them. Like, they're like, literally, you know, we're all on Christian family values and all the rest, and, and all of a sudden these guys are going, well, man, we should probably not get married. Which is not shocking, because Paul later on would teach, you know, it'd be better for you not to get married. Um, and so Jesus would go, no, 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 no. Uh, he, here's what he said, man, Remember this picture? Anybody got this picture of Jack Nicholson? Remember that? Who knows what he's about to yell? Anybody? You can't handle the truth. Jesus doesn't chase after him and go, no, 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 you understood. You didn't mean, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say that. Here's what he, re- Jesus replied, not, every, any, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it's been given. It's a mic drop moment it's full-bore full-on do you want the truth I'm going to give it to you the permanence of marriage but before you get up and walk out on me this morning you need to understand something about Jesus and his full-on full-bore grace Because if this is really hitting you hard, and statistically it's hitting more than half of us hard, I'm a child of this. People I love have been divorced and remarried. So the truth, as I was working on this, wasn't fun for me to process through either until I understood the grace part of Jesus. This same Jesus full of truth, this same Jesus full of truth, because you read this and you go, this same Jesus full of truth, you know, several times he actually comes upon adulterers. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Dragged by the crowds before Jesus? I mean, can you imagine the Pharisees? Oh, he was really hard on that marriage adultery thing. And we got this one caught in the act. Let's see what he does now. Here's what the Scriptures say. John wrote, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law, Moses commanded us, they loved the law, to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? John wrote. Once again, they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus said, well, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And at this point, those who heard began to go away one at a time, The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. I'll give you the truth, but I don't condemn you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm just telling you the truth. Now, go and don't do this anymore. How about the woman at the well? You remember the woman at the well? Jesus comes to the well. There's a woman there, and Jesus says, and Jesus kind of knows what's going on, and he sees her, and he, he says, hey, you know, why don't you go get your husband and bring her out here, knowing full well her story. She says to him, I don't have a husband. Well, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. In fact, it's actually interesting, there's a teaching here uh, that this past, there's a past tense to this adultery nature. So if you, if you have remarried, you are not living in a perpetual state of adultery. There was a sin that you committed that needs repenting and forgiveness just like other sins, just like this woman's sins. And so what does Jesus do with her? He says to her, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. He offers her, offers her himself. said, I've come just for you, that you might have life. And so... Here's where I think the church has screwed up so many times over the years. The church, sometimes because it, it's easier to control people with, 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 to, with law, the church has taken the truth part of the message and forgotten about the grace part of the message. John Oprig has this great piece. So there's a lot of debate about what the loopholes are. This is a talk about the purpose of marriage, a talk of, uh, of what are biblical reasons for divorce we could have for another day. But John Ortberg says that there's a lot of, uh, he tells the story of a, a man that rented an airplane, put his children in it, drove the airplane into his mother-in-law's house, and killed all of them. And what he said was, there are a lot of churches that if that man had lived, the wife at home still would be required to stay married to her. And so sometimes we get so wrapped up in, in the law, we miss the concept of grace. In many churches, unfortunately, divorce has been like raised to a level of being the unforgivable sin. Maybe you've tasted that. Maybe your friends have tasted that in other faith traditions. Maybe you've felt that you're not welcome here. But see... If Jesus does not condemn you, but your church has condemned you, they're likely not the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. It's the expression of Jesus's ministry. Jesus does not condemn adulterers. Jesus pulls them near. And so why am I teaching you this? Well, because the first is my staff is a bunch of chickens. (laughs) <laughs> Second is, um, this is tough, man, right? But I, I, truth truth is tough. And what I want to just say to our church is that Jesus speaks of, of a permanence level to marriage that's almost unsettling. And so if you are in a marriage, can I ask you to begin to look at that truth in maybe a new way? Joan and I, when we got married, you know, we literally remember having this conversation that divorce is not an option for us. It's not happening. And I have to tell you, there were a couple of times over those years, right? Like if that was not, like this is not happening, we wouldn't be where we are today because it would have been a lot easier to just say, I don't like you anymore. That's what you would have said to me anyway. <laughs> but we didn't. Can I encourage you if you're in a marriage? I know, listen, by the way, I'm not talking about abusive relationships here, things like that where there's a lot of pain, all right, Uh, where there's physical stuff. I mean, we we go through the loopholes. That's for another day. But if you're in a marriage, I want you to understand this. God's desire is that that marriage be fixed and made whole and all things are possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the truth. David, I would love to help you with that. I, I can tell you, I can introduce you to families in this church whose marriages were dead as dead could be, ice cold. They are back to life, and they are closer than they have ever been. It is possible. Second reason I'm telling you this. Sometimes I, I think that the church, in two fashions, We've, we, we haven't taught this to our kids well. Um, the first is, it's like, Well, you know, we don't want them to sin So we better get them married early Um, And I agree with the first part Except sometimes I'm like, you know Marriage is like You know what my opening line is In premarital counseling all the time? Since I didn't counsel most of you I'll just give it to you right now This is a word of wisdom Um, Some of you, I might get an amen out of this I start and I I tell these young little cherubs before me um, (laughs) Forever is a really, really long time, right? And so, as parents, I just want you to begin to advise your kids on the eternal purposes of marriage. Well, not eternal, excuse me. In the kingdom, we will not be married. So, look, you might only have to put up with that guy for another 30, 40 more years, and it'll all be over. In the kingdom, that's a teaching for another day. We won't be married there. The the purposes for marriage will be fulfilled. That's a whole other story. But, um, I just, I I think it's important that we teach our kids this. When I do weddings, I know I get it done, but this is so important, I'm just, I don't care. when I do weddings, have you been to one of the weddings I've been to? I do. Um, I've done this, I think, at every wedding, and I know sometimes people don't like it, but, it, you know, if you want me to marry you, it's part of the deal. It's a package deal. Here's the deal. I make the, the wife give vows to the husband. Then I make the husband give vows to the wife. And then I stop and I go, you know, this is a ceremony that's public, because um, when it w- in Israel, for a, for a marriage, a covenant to be binding like this, it had to have witnesses. You are the witnesses. And then I look out into the audience and I go, all of you that are out there. I need to make you part of a vow. And here's what I want you to vow to me, that when these two run into trouble, and they will, when they run into trouble and they come running back to you, daddy, 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 you don't know, he's so, mommy, 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 this guy, and you know, all oh, my friends, you know, and it's so often the advice that we get when we share our marital burdens with somebody else is, well, you should just leave that guy. Oh, I can't believe you put up with her. So I ask everybody that assembles at a wedding, none of you are gonna want me to marry anymore, but I ask everybody that assembles at a wedding, will you promise, when these two come to you, again, apart from abusive relationships and things like that, will you promise to send them home? And I get a quiet, I will. Lastly, So, you know, you might be thinking about, like, well, you know, I'm divorced, I'm remarried. Andy Stanley's got a great line on this. He goes, I'm divorced, I'm remarried. Where do I stand in relationship to the church? He goes, well, uh, you stand in the same place all the rest of us adulterers are. Um, Because remember, Jesus started the whole teaching by saying, if you've looked at a woman um, with lust in your eyes, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, all of us are in the same position. I just went to the beach this week and that whole bouncing your eyes thing, you know? I mean, you can't believe what some people wear to the beach. And so for the same reason that I came to Christ, right? Because I'm a sinner, I've, understa- I've understood that maybe my eye bounce, ba- I missed the eye bounce on that one. I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Is, this, is the same issue in the marriage, remarriage issue. I need to, I need to come back before God and say, and having now known this, I understand that I, I have not done what you desire to me. I, I ask your forgiveness. As the band comes forward, I just want to give you one last one. Because there is, this is an unfairness to this teaching, which is this, that... Well, I mean, what if my husband or my my wife just walked out on me? What if I, I didn't want, you know, I had plans and dreams and hopes for this marriage? And this is a lot to put on me. I didn't want this. They did. And I know that that's painful. And I know that these words, if somebody doesn't explain to you the concept of grace, because Jesus is full of truth and grace, these words would be very convicting. But I also just want you to understand something. The Scriptures teach that um, Jesus came and He is familiar with all of our temptations. Let me share this one with you. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament said this about God, your Father or God said it. He said, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Turns out, God's a divorcee too. That's been cheated on. That's had hopes and dreams squashed. And knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus Christ, full of truth, full of grace.